In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. So we are pleased on this episode of Rector's Cupboard to feature an interview that Allison conducted with L. Pike. Yeah. Allison's here. Hi, Allison. Hello, Todd. And so we thought before uh, I had a chance to listen to the interview, it's fantastic. And we thought before we uh, turn to that in this episode that we'll talk for just a few minutes about um, some of the things that came up in that interview. L. in her work uh, looks at kind of the state of the church in Canada and new initiatives around church and Christian faith in Canada. And so one of the things that came up in your conversation, Allison, was the, and you would remember this, the I would. differences between kind of the church experience in Canada and that of the United States. Yeah, I mean, that is something that I think is distinct that we don't always, I, I think if you're working in any industry, you do understand the ways in which Canada and the States are the same and the ways in which they're actually very different. Well, think about it even in terms of news, yeah. politics. Yes. Uh, I was just down in North Carolina Speaking of the United States, it's yes, very, yes. it's very American, North Carolina. <laughs> like there's a lot of America down there. And a friend and I went, well, you know this, uh, we went to Duke Divinity School. We interviewed a bunch of profs and writers and academics. And then we were there for a conference as well. Um, but you notice the cultural things you just pick up. And those are not even talking about the church right now. Just like no. life in general, the fast food culture is even more set there, right? Yeah. Uh, my hotel room overlooked like a lot of these places do nice hotel but like kind of parking lot ish you know what i mean the surrounding mm -hmm. area and so it looked out over i don't know there were like four or five fast food more than that places within i could see them one was called bojangles have you ever heard of bojangles i have you have i have is it only american i i don't know i think i, I, I honestly say i i can recognize the name i don't really know much more i can make some insinuations about it or assumptions well it's very popular in durham north carolina at least in this area because um i would look out my window whatever time of day i suppose there's you know by late maybe it wasn't this way um and there was a pretty extensive lineup at the drive-through like all the it time must be good. and there was a mcdonald's i could see no lineup I mean, there i do think that it is important to like our our context in North Vancouver, chicken Vancouver. And, chicken and biscuits, just so you know, Bojangles. Delicious, I, I bet. Okay, yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, there are parts where even when you go out of the Vancouver area, like Canada is not a monolith, but right. I think there are things in there. Like even just I think about the the kind of baseline presumptions that we make around like healthcare. Right, sure. Like talking with my kids about, about I'm trying to remember the context uh talking with my daughter and i was like oh man i'm so glad that we're not in the states because we'd have to choose between do we have housing or do we get this test and she's wow. like what do you even mean and i'm like scary for your daughter well but yeah. she has no context of thinking right. that going to the right. er for a simple test yeah. would be potentially like yeah. i don't know how we make our bills now at the end of the can't month can't sign you up for a band or something yeah or, yeah so the differences are real and in your interview of course as you recall um L addressed and you responded to the fact that so much of so you know you think of politics for example many of us Canadians know more about American politics yes. than Canadian than the other way always around. in our face and then as we were looking at the bookshelf here in the office studio uh L was pointing out with her books and her studies so many of the books yeah. are American even though in some way she's pushing against uh particular uh, understandings of Christianity that seem really um, set in the United States, I guess, particularly evangelicalism. Um, and so it is an interesting question, just what what are the differences in the church well, in Canada? What's the difference in church history? I remember a number of years ago, this book came out, I think, in 2017. It's a book written on a study, I think, of 
you know, church attendance and such. And we've mm-hmm. probably referenced it before on Rector's okay. Cupboard. What's it called? It's called Leaving Christianity. And the authors are Brian Clark and Stuart MacDonald. Leaving Christianity, Changing Allegiances in Canada Since 1945. Um, they pointed out that, and we've asked this before, so those who've listened to Rector's Cupboard and, you know, remember, um, when was the peak per capita of church attendance in Canada? It was like the... 50s, wasn't no, it? No, you're wrong, but that's a great. It, it's, it, was it 1945? 1971. 1971? 1971 was the peak, according to this study. So per capita, that's when most people went, the, the most people went to yeah. church in Canada. I can't remember what the percentage was. Uh, on a regular basis, weekly or, you know, twice a month or whatever. And then the floor kind of dropped out. I think, as I recall, they talk about how that decline starts in mainline congregations. So in Canada, United Presbyterian Anglican um, but that now we've heard we know now in more recent studies um, that actually conservative evangelical churches are losing people much faster now than even the mainline did uh, so they mentioned in the study so and basically the book is a reflection on the study so the non-churched will keep growing you know keep growing from a sizable base first people are not only leaving churches they are leaving christianity that's interesting mm-hmm. and many of them have no interest in returning as we've seen this trend started in the 1960s became entrenched in the 1970s second an increasing and significant proportion of the population has never had any first-hand experience of organized religion and finally there is the scale of this phenomenon so they speak about how the scale is enormous uh, we've talked about it before in our conversations that the scale is so big that the revivals in particularly in the united states and other mm-hmm. places of the 1700s and 1800s that really changed societies tons of people started going to church and they hadn't before the the incidence the rate of people leaving church now is much higher than than people signing up then so mm-hmm. all this is really interesting conversation that you had with Elle and, and interesting to consider what it means for faith in Canada. Yeah. So um, first of all, thank you to Elle Pike from New Leaf. And I mean, we've we've gotten to know Elle over the last year and a bit. And yeah, New Leaf is trying to do a ton of work um, in creating resources and creating communities yeah. and creating connections across Canada for church communities, uh, people who are asking questions about what does it mean to be church right now? How do we function as church right now? Um, and they're trying to provide places to have those conversations and they, they're doing stuff like they, they're trying to even just help produce content for Canadians by Canadians. So, I mean, we would highly recommend to our listeners that Uh, to check out their stuff. Yeah, you asked her a question there and people will hear it as they listen to the interview. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Or it came up maybe in conversation that you basically said are you optimistic are you mm-hmm. um, and I, that got me to thinking like do you think people are generally that people in general so the you know large collective of people who've had church experience or care about christian church do you think they are generally in canada optimistic or pessimistic about the state of the church would you say mm-hmm. more people lean pessimistic like the church is declining whatever i mean i I would be careful about like stating this is my opinion. I have no research, and most of yeah, my yeah, this is just your sense. Most of my uh, experience was in evangelicalism. Um, I think that that there is a lot of fear because I think people see decline or even change, particularly um, kind of the decline that happened around the pandemic and stuff. That people walked away, and then they realized. I don't know that I want to go back. Yeah. Um, and for those who did go back, those th- that's hard to feel like you value something, but other people don't. That That is a hard thing to sense. And I think that people are trying to grasp and comprehend what happened, mm-hmm. how something that felt like it was alive before no longer does. So there's kind no of a nostalgia does. for some people. Yeah. And I think that... that there's a lot of struggle. And so I've heard different explanations from different places talking about how, you know, it's just a sign of the times or that it's some sort of spiritual oh, the world warfare. Is so secular. Yeah. Look Those how sorts bad of it things. is. Yeah. Um, and I try, I'm thinking compassionately that, that people are trying to understand. Um, and I do think that there is a lot of, I think there is a lot of pessimism because I think people don't don't see the decline as something that's positive 
or in, that they would struggle to see things in positive ways about it. It's it's one of the things that at Rector's Cupboard, you know, we try to talk about or try to, you know, get out there is the concept that it is possible to not be optimistic about church staying the same. So if you have an idea of church that means some particular evangelical expressions, mm-hmm. um, what that is meant for people that maybe that is falling apart. So if you if you wanted that, you're going to be pessimistic. Yeah. But it's possible to be pessimistic about you know, or I put it this way, we can be optimistic that that those models are falling apart, which is maybe maybe a good thing yeah. for faith, for Christian faith. I know that many people um, like Daryl Guder and others, other scholars and writers say, Christian writers and people speaking about the Christian faith and its mission or witness um, say the, basically say the best thing for Christian faith is like the death of Christendom. And so as much yeah. as those churches were expressions of trying to have cultural power, trying to be relevant, trying to be big or significant, mm-hmm. as that disintegrates, maybe it's possible to be optimistic oh, about the faith in general. I, I certainly think that for myself personally, and I can still acknowledge that for a lot of people, that's a painful process to mm-hmm. go through. I think that there are questions that are being asked. There are conversations that are happening that I think are really necessary and really mm-hmm. hard. And that people instinctively just don't want to touch because there's a potential for pain. There's a potential for what is this actually going to mean? Like a lot, sense of loss. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and so I think, I personally think that I am not afraid for, for the decline of the church because I have hope that something new can come out of it. I think if I didn't think that there was hope for that, yeah. it would be concerning for me. Um. But I do understand and I can be sympathetic for people who are struggling to see that there could be something different or that something different would be a good thing. Right. Because there are certain people for for whom how church has functioned has felt good. And I may disagree or, with or how it's... parts fe- of it has. And then yeah, you enough of it has. It or, or, yeah, yeah. And so so I, I want to be careful that I don't want to like dance on the graves of other people's communities because I feel like that's insensitive. Like there, there are people who the church declining has been a really, really painful right. thing. And so I feel like I want to hold that tension with the fact that I, I want to be like, but something new can come from well, this. Well, and I, I, you don't want to go back. I don't. Yeah. No. You don't want to go back. And of course, we one of the theological things that we would say is that Christian faith, Christian theology always looks forward, that you can't get anywhere by going back and so wherever you are in this um, mm-hmm. some of you might be what, what kind of how Allison was referring to people who feel this sense of loss or lament or nostalgia if that's you uh, there'll be great stuff in this interview um, for you to identify with um, if you are more eager for the future and glad that it's not like it used to be um, there's lots there as well and we're really grateful that people like Elle and others are working in this field and it's evident to us and you'll know in listening as well uh, why collaborations and partnerships like uh, uh, Rector's Cupboard and New Leaf um, exist. So, Allison, thanks for doing the interview, and and those of you who are listening, enjoy enjoy listening to it. Thanks so much. So welcome to Rector's Cupboard. This uh, week we are very excited to be welcoming L. Pike from New Leaf Network, and L. is the Director of Programs and Innovation for the New Leaf Network. Elle has served on the board of a number of organizations, such as Women Powering Technology Global uh, and TEDx Waterloo Women. She's currently pursuing her MA in Theology and Culture from the Institute for Religion, Peace, and Justice at St. Stephen's University. And she loves spending time with family and friends, the great outdoors, all things New Leaf, which I'm very glad to hear, Elle, because that's what mostly we are here to talk about today. So welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm often the one interviewing and so it's kind of a nice change to be the one being interviewed. So thank you. I'm really honored to be here. No, we're so excited uh, to talk to you. Um, for our listeners who may not have heard of New Leaf, I mean, we're based in BC and you guys are in Ontario. Um, can you tell us a little bit about New Leaf Network, what the organization does, what you do there, um, how you became involved with it? 
Sure. Yeah. Why don't I give people like the nitty gritty details? Because it's sure. kind of a, a, fun, a fun story. <laughs> so back when, uh, you know, early 2000s, when I was just a, a glimmer in my mother's eye. No, I'm kidding. When I was, um, I wasn't involved in ministry at the time. I was just graduating high school. But there was a group of people that had come together across Canada. And I think it's interesting to share this because it's really quite countercultural to what we often experience now. But there was a group of people that were kind of newly minted um, denominational leaders that were responsible for starting new worshiping communities or, or church planting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, if some of your listeners are familiar with kind of that move in the nineties that kind of spilled yes, over yes. to two thousands where like <laughs> everyone and their uncle were church planting, you know, a group came together and they really wanted to have a Canadian specific conversation. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it was also like cross denominational. And so as it was described to me in the early days, it was kind of like a potluck. People were bringing things across the table. I'm going to bring my casserole. You're going to bring your shrimp tacos. We're going to share what we're doing and, and how we're doing it because there was such a knowledge that the Canadian context when it came to church planting was and is just so different from our friends in the U.S. And so there was this beautiful group that got together called Church Planting Canada. The organization still exists. But over time, it, you know, as it was described to me, they changed to more of a, I'll bring my casserole. You'll bring your shrimp tacos, but we'll just eat our own food and have relationships. Uh, Wasn't so much resource sharing. And in that time period, a group of people had come together and had created, and this will definitely uh, place it in time, but it was called a church plant boot camp. And so it was quite cool because it was all these denominations that had come together and said, yeah, we're better together. We're going to train our church planters together. So it was created and Church Planting Canada said, well, you know what? Here you go, boys. And it really was all men. But they, he said, here you go. You guys take it. And you're now the proud owners of this content. And so for a long time, even before New Leaf was uh, technically a thing, uh, a man by the name of Jared Siebert, who was the person who founded it, had been doing this missional church planting, very different um, than what was kind of on offer in terms of it wasn't a one-size-fits-all kind of option. Mm. It was very neighborhood focused it was very what's god already up to in your space more so than five tips tricks and techniques to plant a <laughs> church and so and it was very egalitarian even in those early days and a lot of church planting networks your listeners might remember um they weren't plant they weren't training women church planters so yeah we've had a bit of a legacy as an organization of always being a bit on the edge of the inside and so jared had this idea in about 2014 or so that maybe this should be more than just a church plant boot camp or a, a church plant design shop maybe this should be a place where missional practitioners academics kind of come together and help one another and so new leaf in its first number of years um really was just predominantly serving people that were starting new things um they were starting churches common cause communities kind of like social entrepreneurs and often those folks still do and and definitely did at the time felt a bit different than their counterparts mm trying new things, doing new things. Um, I don't know. There was so many people that had churches and coffee shops, but at one point, you know, that was a very innovative, <laughs> interesting idea. And so these folks kind of found community and connection through New Leaf. And so we ran a bunch of workshops and put together events and really just created places for people to come together and know one another because we are so siloed oftentimes mm. in like, I, I remember meeting you and someone <laughs> said, how do you not know about these people? I'm like, I don't know. I can't believe I don't know what they're doing. Like, we have so, some similarities. Yeah. And so, yeah, across, like, it's a big landmass from east to west, from north to south, and we often don't know one another. And so, newly from its very beginning was always an organization that really was trying to connect yeah. people who are collaborative, who are relational who are looking for something creative that's trying to kind of support and equip people who are trying new things and so as time has gone on we've kind of shifted not um 100 on purpose but we become a bit broader than yep. just church planters so we've been kind of connecting with pastors and academics and neighborhood catalysts and you know people who are just trying to follow jesus in this weird wacky time and are looking for community and connection mm. um and are willing to brave some brave space i guess because we don't all think the same uh, we don't all necessarily have uh, the same theological backgrounds or traditions but are looking for something that's con missional contextual and distinctly canadian i guess that's probably how i'd describe mm. it 
No, that's really, that's really interesting. So your job at New Leaf as the director of programs and innovation, what does that typically entail for you? So my job is many things. I'm sometimes chief cook and bottle washer, but I also <laughs> uh, get the privilege of trying to help find different ways of like, um, in terms of the connection. So we have online, like an online learning center, which is kind of like a community of practice and learning that meets together each week. We have events um, and I'm kind of responsible for all of that and trying to find voices. You know, we're putting on an, an academic symposium coming up in March. And so that's kind of my responsibility is to try to find community and connection and content that will suit the diversity of Canadian backgrounds and traditions and, and people that are coming to the network. And so it's a great privilege to do what I get to do. We're all multivocational. So mm. um, no, no one on our team is, is full time. And so, yeah, I get to kind of spend my time thinking about uh, conversations and learning opportunities for people that are looking for it. Mm. Now, you said before, New Leaf is intentionally focused on the Canadian context. Um and you you've spoken a little bit to how how that came about, but can you can you tell us why it's so important for Canadian churches to actually think and work and get resources from Canadian contexts as opposed to just kind of translating a little bit from American ones or ones from you know across the pond in the UK and stuff like why why does it why does Canadian matter for for these organizations and churches and communities that New Leaf is working with? I love that question. And you're, you're, I think you're striking something really important. And I think part of it is, you know, it's lots of different reasons. Well, I'll say this, <laughs> you know, there's nothing more Canadian than maple syrup, hockey, and looking down our noses at our American <laughs> counterparts. You know, we have a shared affinity for kind of looking down south and going, yeah, what's going on down there? But... Um, I'm sitting in a room with a lot of bookshelves behind me, in front of me. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm honest, 95% of those books um, are written by Americans. Yeah. And you, same, maybe you're in the same boat. Yeah, I just say our, our huge bookshelf behind me in the office here. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at stuff and trying to identify. Like, we, we, we've got some. But, I mean, the majority of the voices are American Absolutely. I can probably tell you more about the history of the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States than I can about denominations here mm. in Canada. Yeah. And I'm paid to pay attention to this. And I just do pay attention to this. And so our input, so even though we sometimes like to say, oh, we're different, oh, we're different, our discipleship resources, our Sunday school curriculums, the books that we use, the podcasts that we listen to, um, they're American. And whether, though we do hold similarities, we also hold distinctions. And I think the thing that is missing, I, I think it's still missing, um, really is a cultivation of the Canadian voice, even within evangelicalism or post evangelicalism. Yeah. We, we are different. Like we, I know it when I pass the border, like it doesn't take me long to get yeah. over the border. I'm, I'm here in Southwestern Ontario. And so I can get into Buffalo or Detroit or Port Huron, it's like, I know I'm not home. Yeah. And yet I, I, I am <laughs> part of the problem that my resources are often very American. And so there was a conviction from the very beginning when I joined the team and kind of got alongside Jared and said, okay, let's do this crazy thing. There was a deep conviction that we had to focus on Canada. And I know that that maybe now can come across maybe sometimes negatively or we too, a little too uh, mm. Canadian in our focus. But I, I think in the best, you know, mm. most healthy way, I do think that we have to continue to cultivate the Canadian voice because there are stories, there are um, differences, there there's wisdom in the land, the way that we enter into conversations around justice or mm. is it conversations around women in ministry, conversations around inclusion, conversations around community engagement. Like we have these beautiful textures of rural and city and urban and all of these, like we have a whole other different language. Like we have a whole province that speaks another <laughs> language. And so I think 
there is something happening here in Canada. There are stories to be mined. Um, they just don't always look American. So they don't always have um, book deals and yeah. big followings. And the honest truth is that I can critique uh, Canadian organizations and Canadian conferences that, but <laughs> for bringing up American speakers, but I also understand and don't fault them because that's yeah. what people show up to. Yeah. So with New Leaf, like you guys are not just from from what from what I've seen, you don't just um, do events with Canadian speakers and Canadian pastors and theologians and those sorts of things. But you also like part of your work at New Leaf is helping to produce more Canadian content, correct? Like with your Absolutely. podcast and publishing and stuff. Totally. Yeah. We started a little, a little imprint, a little new leaf press. And so we're actually, we have a couple of books in, uh, in, in production right now, you know, we'll sell tens of copies. And so, <laughs> but I think that is part of the, yeah. part of the, the chicken and the egg is that we have to cultivate the resources, but we also have to cultivate the appetite. So for example, one of the latest books that we put out, um, it's called overlooked. It's written by, um, Jamie Robertson. He is, um, a professor of history at Tyndale. It's, called Overlooked, The Forgotten Origin Stories of Canadian Christianity. And it's an entire book literally about the history of Christianity in Canada. And I wish that everyone in Canada who claims the Christian faith bought a copy of it. They did not. But I think, what is the gospel in Canada? I think that's like a really, um, yeah, that's a really important important question to ask, especially in our current context. And so we're um, working on a book right now that is about deconstruction in Canada. And so two researchers mm. have come together and it's, it's not the American deconstruction yeah. story. It's the Canadian and their Canadian resources and Canadian people being interviewed. So I think there's, um, there's just something for us to learn about in our own Canadian history. And it's as much as I critique it, like I said, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I don't I don't know the Canadian history mm -hmm. the way that I should. Um, I don't, and, and I need to. And so it, I think that's part of it is that we, we try to do the work. It does not pay the bills, but we try to do the work <laughs> to cultivate the content because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to pay attention to where we're from and what's happening here. Well, and I would assume that part of that, the, the rationale behind that is that the organizations, the communities that you're working with are all Canadian based, correct? And Absolutely. so like what, what kind of, what are the backgrounds of people and organizations aside from being Canadian that New Leaf typically works with? Like you talked about things being egalitarian, being more ecumenical. Um, but do you have kind of like people that, that you either started working with and there's been a shift over things? Cause you've talked about how you guys have changed as an organization. So I'm kind of curious about like, who are the people that are are working with you guys? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, predominantly it still is evangelicals, apologetically evangelical, small e evangelical, post evangelical, mm. not sure what to call themselves evangelical, <laughs> but still kind of evangelical. That would be the predominant group of people that we often find ourselves with. And I think that's part of just the that's where we grew up and that's where a lot of us who've been around the network for a while, that's whether currently in denominations or once were. And then I think there's a beautiful ecumenicalism, ecumenicalism, ecumen we're ecumenical. That's sure. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that opportunity to connect with those in the main line who are yeah, interested in these conversations and interested in being together with everyone. I think there's a beauty in coming to the table um, and the opportunities that we offer through the workshops and events and actually being with the entire body of Christ. I think that there's something like we can stay in our silos, um, you know, most days, Monday to Friday, if we really want to. But I think there is kind of something beautiful when people come together, not necessarily for a long time, but just for events, for opportunities to learn and to hear I mean, I'm pr very privileged to be in the role I am. I mean, I had no idea, like, you know, 2016, 2017, I had been given a very narrow view uh, of mainline Christianity in Canada. Yeah. I, oh, um, and I found out that it was majority wrong. Um, and I got to, like, see the beauty of the liturgical traditions and got to see, like, oh my gosh, these people put me to shame. <laughs> like these people, I, 
they're better Christians than me. This is crazy. And so, you know, whatever that, whatever that means, but I think there's just, there's something beautiful to seeing that. And so, yeah, we're pretty fiercely ecumenical and that has definitely, uh, in the last number of years, I would say pre COVID ish, but mostly post COVID, Mm -hmm. I would say that within, um, evangelicalism in Canada, I would say there's a change and not yeah. as many people maybe are as interested uh, in being with everybody as they once were. Not everybody, not everybody, not all places, yeah. but I think there is, um, we have noticed as an organization and as we partner and connect with other organizations who do similar broad tent work, um, it's not as easy as it once was uh, to just put out a bat signal and say, hey, we can, we're centered on Jesus, right? Like Nicene Creed, Apostles Creed, we're good. We're like, we're just here for a workshop, right? Right. We're not okay. And uh, it was a lot easier uh, pre-COVID to do that. And we've had some struggles doing that to engage with like-minded people who are looking for diverse perspectives and are looking to be encouraged and to see this vibrant, healthy church in Canada that might be outside of their tradition. It's been a bit more difficult. If I'm being vulnerable and honest. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. I mean, I think anybody particularly within evangelicalism, although not exclusively within evangelicalism, I've seen it happening in mainline congregations and denominations as well. Like there, there are questions being asked that I don't remember being asked when I was a kid. Um, Mm. There are conversations that are happening. There is kind of entrenchments around certain doctrinal stances and stuff. So I know that you and I have previously spoken about how some of the people that that you're now working with are not just church planters, but they're people who are kind of finding themselves, I mean, if we're being honest, over the issue of human sexuality and inclusion, finding themselves all of a sudden denominationalists, or sorry, denom- mm-hmm. like without a denomination. That's what I'm trying to say, because they're, they're largely evangelical denominations have decided to make a firm stance in one way and they have felt like they can't do that. So all of a sudden you're getting a bunch of people that aren't church planters, but are now having to try to navigate the world as a community without their typical denominations. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think those people are looking for belonging and -hmm. connection and conversation partners and still looking to be to be resourced. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting like I'm so grateful to get to have a bit of a high level view. Like I certainly wouldn't say I know all the things in all the places, but like, you know, I know a few things. I've heard some things. I've <laughs> seen some things. Do. Yes. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the way things uh, shape up in, in, in the next few years, how that all settles, because I, I do think something's on the move. I think that um, I always say, you know, you can take the girl out of the Pentecostals, but it's really hard to take the Pentecostal <laughs> out of the girl. And so, you know, with that hat on, like it does feel a bit like a something, something is happening within Canada, across Canada. And uh, I'm really interested to see where that all lands, because I think there are still incredible communities and pastors and churches that are doing great work and are finding would have stayed had they been given the choice, but just aren't allowed to. And so, yeah, what, what, where are they going to go and how, what's that going to look like? So I think um, New Leaf will still stay focused on trying to draw together the big, broader community. But I do think that another organization or maybe more than one will be birthed. We'll try to home some of these Mm. folks that are finding themselves in the wilderness. So maybe stay tuned. Maybe you can talk to me in a year from now. (laughs) Sure. I'd love to. Now, I mean, one of the reasons that that I particularly really wanted to speak to you, I mean, aside from the fact that that I like you, um, so that's always nice, but is I think that New Leaf has a very unique perspective, both in the fact that it is focused on the Canadian church, um, but also the fact that you you guys as a network, as an organization, have this, this very high-level view because you work all across the country, um, and so you're able to kind of see even some of those geographical differences and you're able to get a high level perspective, but you also work with very specific people. And so like you, you are not removed from, from hearing and encountering what is going on kind of on the ground level. And so I feel like you guys are very uniquely positioned to kind of have some perspective. Cause I know that, 
I, I don't know that there's any evangelical congregations that I'm aware of that aren't feeling like, particularly post-COVID um, as well, that they're not, that things aren't feeling kind of maybe as, as comfortable or as stable as they once did. And I feel like you as an organization are, are positioned to kind of be able to go like either like, this is not an isolated issue for your congregation or like maybe this is geographically. And I'm wondering if you can kind of tell us a little bit about what your perspective is about what's going on in the church in Canada at the moment. Like what are the big conversations that are happening? Like what are the things that, that you are noticing that are happening kind of on a big national level? Yeah. Geez, what do I want to say here? <laughs> That's a great, great question. And thank you. I mean, it's humbling to hear that we are perceived that way. I think the strength of the work that we do is because of the quality and character of the pastors and lay leaders and academics who find community and connection with us. So mm -hmm. I feel like we get to set a table, but all these amazing people bring the feast. And so, um, yeah, I think what here, here's what, yeah, I can be vulnerable and say a few things. I think in my time in ministry, so I've probably been, uh, this wasn't my first career. I was involved in like the tech scene here locally in KW, involved in the startup world. And so I was really formed through business to see a need and see a gap and mm -hmm. think that we could fix it or think that we could do something about it or see a problem and feel that we could work toward a solution. Yeah. And really that's what I was just surrounded with in, in that startup culture. Was it some of it, the pursuit of the almighty dollar? Of course, of course. But yes. I think there was this like, let's throw things at the wall. Let's try, let's give it a shot. And um, I would say that my sense of the church in Canada was that when I really got involved in ministry in those early days, it felt like that spirit was alive and well within the church in Canada, that there was this missional renewal. There was a, a sense that we could try things. There was a sense of having less fear, op open hands. Mm, so kind of like more I, optimistic, more creative. Little bit, just willing, willing to give it a shot, mm. willing to try, willing to pull from different people. Like I remember going to conferences that were like, I didn't like they were people weren't even Christians necessarily, which is fine with me. I'm happy to learn from anyone. But like, I just felt that there was this like spirit, a bit of openness. And I would say that for lots of reasons, I think that in a lot of places that has gone, it's gone to the wayside. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, what I've been telling people lately is that I have never been more disappointed in the church in Canada on a whole, but I've also never been more hopeful. And I think that what I'm holding as a holder of stories and as someone who just genuinely still am jazzed about Jesus, <laughs> I think that when I look across the country, like we are a multitude of people and we hold a multitude of emotions. And I think that grief and joy are sitting together in this moment. Hmm. And I think that as humans living a human story, we are, the heart can't always sort out like, oh, this is the joy pocket and this is the grief pocket. It's like these things sit together. Huh. These things. So when these scandals, when we hear about these scandals that happen, yeah. I mean, a big one happened not too long ago. We hear about the abuse. I mean, it breaks my heart. I was close to the situation in Southwestern Ontario that happened a few years ago. And it's mm -hmm. like, how can you not as a human who like, loves Jesus and loves the church, not grieve and feel yeah. like what is happening. But then at the same time, seeing all this beauty, I just met with someone today who's a pastor of a church who is working in a city and like, literally they're doing such incredible work with um, poverty reduction and, and like feeding programs that it's actually the city, the city gives them $250,000 a year to run their program. They're that much of a trusted hmm. resource provider that it's the city that's giving them money to do this work. And it's like, how can you not stand in amazement at that yeah. and say incredible, but then also hold 
all of this, you know, darkness that really, and you know, what's being shaken can be shaken. And so I think that is kind of my perspective is that when I hear of these denominations who won't or can't because of their structures or their fear, make room for conversations, that's heartbreaking. But then to hear of other people still, still sticking with it, still trying to do the best they can, knowing that life is hard, knowing that things are not always easy. Like it produces this sense of like resiliency within me, but at the same time holds this grief. And if I were to paint a picture of the church in Canada, and you really don't want me to paint because I'm a terrible artist, (laughs) but (laughs) if I could, it would be some kind of representation of like, we're going through some dark times, but there is a bright light, Hmm. I think. And I don't think, um, yeah, I've been through some things in the last few years. And so I don't think that that's like a naive optimism. No, it doesn't actually, sound like that to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's grounded in, um, in the reality that I, I do still think that something is beautiful is happening, but I think to not acknowledge that, to not acknowledge that lament and joy and grief and repentance and reconciliation and beauty is has to like, it's just, it's going to be in, in a big pot altogether. Mm. And I think that is going to be the, the difficult, the difficulty and maybe the calling of the church in Canada is to navigate, is to navigate through that because people are deeply wounded. Yeah. I think happened to them in Christian spaces, deeply wounded things that would, I don't think they look, smell, taste, or sound like Jesus. They don't look and smell and sound like the gospel. And I don't always know what to do with that because then I, I meet other people who've been deeply healed in yeah. very beautiful and inclusive and hopeful spaces. Uh, mm. And it does sound like good news to me. And so this is the weird tension, I think, of being able to name those things out loud and then still make space, I think, for the transformation uh, that God brings to us in our vulnerability and surrender. I, I think the moment of command and control of, we think we know what to do. Yeah. We know what kind of church Canada needs. We've got your five tricks and tips to do church growth. We've got, I mean, we know some things, but I think we're <laughs> coming to a place of rightfully so of a little bit of humility. I think we're being humbled before our God and it's a chance for the church to really open itself up to reconciliation and to repentance and to what happens after that, that the goodness that comes after that happens. But I think that's going to be a choice for individual Christians and for churches, for denominations, for institutions. Mm. I think the call is there. The call is there. And I think we're going to have to answer it. So that's kind of my high level uh, Mm -hmm. thought. Canada right now. Yeah, I mean, what I hear what I hear you saying is certainly not a naive sort of like everything's going to be just fine sort of perspective, but very much an acknowledgement of like people are hurting, accountability needs to happen with, around certain issues, like certain conversations need to happen and they're going to be hard and they're going to be difficult. Um, how are you seeing either personally or as like an organization, some of those kind of difficult conversations coming up in the work that you're doing? Like, does that come up in like the events that you guys organize around certain themes or the resources that you guys choose to produce? Like, are you feeling like you are able to kind of stand in in those gaps to try to facilitate some of those hard conversations and some of those really complicated, you know, emotions and, and responses to, to what's happening right now. We have tried our best uh, to create space for those difficult conversations. You know, there's a great poem, maybe you've heard it and it's been attributed to a million people. So I'm not even really sure who wrote it, but the the invitation to brave space. I don't Mm. know if you've heard the poem. It's like, um, I have it up here. It says together we will create brave space because there is no such thing as safe space. Uh, We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we have all caused wounds in this space. We seek to turn down the volume of the outside world We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. 
It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. Hmm. And so we use that poem um, at a lot of our events to say, this is the spirit of that we kind of come to do this work. So at the learning center, we've tackled conversations on creation care, which I didn't realize could be controversial, but Mm -hmm. they can be. Yeah. Um, we've had conversations around, um, clergy sexual abuse. Uh, we had a whole series of how pastors and churches can help to like what resources Canadian resources exist to do this work. And how, how are we going to name this? We've had conversations around whole person sexuality. So not actually topic or, quote unquote issue based because Hmm. but like that we're human beings created in God's image and never guess what we're sexual beings and so how do we navigate that and how do we navigate that coming out of purity culture because some of us grew up in that and that wasn't so great and so what's kind of how are we piecing things together and so we've tried Hmm. to bring topics that may seem to some folk controversial but we try to create spaces to say you may not agree with everything that you hear but that is life that is so can we hold a posture of openness to say you're going to chew the meat and spit out the bone you're going to sit with other people who perhaps think something different than you but we're going to wrestle it out together and so some of that takes on more as time has gone on just naming that reality that Mm. your uncomfortability with something doesn't necessarily mean that this is not a safe space for you or that your you know, we did some work on settler discipleship because reconciliation and indigenous conversations is really important to us as an organization. And we've done a number of series around it and brought in speakers and had people come and share with us. And we just had someone recently that was kind of at the beginning was like, hey, we're going to talk about settler discipleship, but we're going to start by doing like a body scan. I thought, oh gosh, where, is where this are we going? going? <laughs> a body scan. Okay, saddle up. But such wisdom, because Mm. as controversially, the more controversial the topics got or more difficult that Mm. required deep soul work, we just took a moment then and said, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit who's already here with us. Going to take a deep breath. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Scan your body. And I thought, oh, this makes so much sense of like, yeah, you might be feeling uncomfortable, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to release it. We're going to breathe through it. We're going to, we're going to. You know, if we have to go, if we have to take care of ourselves, no problem. Like, so I think we're just bringing, trying to bring a more holistic, embodied piece to our work that uh, we would have never talked about in 2018, 2019. I don't think we would have had to have set the stage so carefully. Um, But, you know, it's a good thing, I think. The the book, The Art of Gathering, has really influenced me over the years of really setting spaces with intention. And I think... If you're looking to have all of your preconceived ideas about something and you're looking to just have someone yes and amen everything you think, um, New Leaf might not be the space for you. Hmm. So and that's okay. Yeah. That's, you know, that's totally okay. And I, I think that that'll, that's just the kind of the reality of like we wrestle things out together mm-hmm. and and then go back to our places and spaces and do the work God's called us to do. But hopefully we go uh, um, out into those places a bit stronger. So with, with these resources and stuff that you're talking about for, for listeners who might be interested in, in starting to like check out some stuff that you guys have made. And I mean, what I, what I feel like I have a lot of respect for is the fact that I feel like you've chosen to make your job very difficult. Um, but in like a very, like for very intentional and specific reasons that I have a lot of respect for. Um, but I feel like, um, oh no, I've lost my thought. Oh, it just went out. It's gone. Uh, let me try. We'll do a pivot. So for people who are wanting to engage with content, with resources that you guys have created, like what sort of, how can people get to your stuff? Like I, we'll, we'll link your, your, your website and sure. stuff like that. But what sort of resources does New Leaf like make and who are they intended for? Like, is it just for leaders within church communities? Um, or are there resources that just like the regular congregation member who maybe is going like my church feels like it, it doesn't feel like it used to. And I'm struggling with that. And how, like, maybe there's some good resources. Like who, who are some of the resources that you guys make intended for and how can people get their hands on them? Yeah. 
That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. I'm terrible at pitching uh, the actual resources. I just, yeah. So we have a learning center that meets online every single week, Thursday afternoons at 1.30 p.m. Eastern till three o'clock. You can join, you can get the recordings, you can, I mean, but the best part is if you can make it to the actual conversations. We know that that time doesn't work for everybody, um, but we do have a lot of people that subscribe to the Learning Center and that's kind of weekly content that hopefully is helpful. It's geared toward pastors and lay leaders. It's kind of both. Hmm. I think it's the hope is that there's a lot of people that participate at New Leaf who may not hold a quote unquote pastoral job, but are super interested in or are doing pastoral work in many ways in the work that they do outside (laughs) of that. But they're interested in having conversations about Canada and hearing from different practitioners, stories, challenging conversations. So it's kind of geared toward both. We're hoping that, and yeah, just as many people, I would say it's half and half, just as many people participate in a lot of these things. We try to put on um, yearly events. So we just Mm -hmm. finished a conference that we did um, and that was geared toward every, there would have been something for everybody. Um, We also try to do a bit of work toward, um, we call it pracademic, practical and academic. So (laughs) try every year to like scratch the itch for the Canadian academics, because truly, again, I know so many I could rattle you off a name of a lot of American academics who are doing really great theological work and like not now more, I know more, but previously (laughs) I didn't like really great work being done in seminaries and in universities in Canada. And sometimes that work is like a beautiful thesis that sits on a dusty shelf and we never get access to it. And unless that person goes into academics as a career, we may never hear that about that work. And so we want to, blow the dust off all of those things. And so every year we try to do something that scratches the itch of academics. So would a lay person love that? It all depends on how much they enjoy a little (laughs) Canadian theological. So we're going to have a conversation about uh, the future of the church. We did that in our conference this year, and we're going to do an an academic symposium and do a call for for papers and kind of Hmm. scratch that itch of the pracademic meets the academic, the pracademic, the practical meets meets the the academic. academic. Yes. Well, I mean, kind of on that academic note, like you yourself are finishing up your master's degree. Congratulations. How much more do you have of that? Like I'm three fourths of the way through. I'll get there. You will. I'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you start that after you began working at New Leaf? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I started that about two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, honestly, um, I'm a big Brad Jerzak fan. So that like, (laughs) you know. Yeah, that's going to draw you to St. Stephen's. His book said on my, yeah, I was just looking for A, something Canadian. Um, I was looking for something that was a little more open tent yeah. <laughs> than, than maybe some of the other programs. They had, they have a great, I love what they do. They do like a, a one-year certificate through the Institute for Religion, Peace and Justice, which I think they just renamed the Jim Forrest Institute, but it's this like online program so it's like you give it a shot and you do this one-year program and if that's all you want you get the certificates hanging on my wall great or if you want to roll it over into a master's Uh, and I thought you know what I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do this while I'm in working (laughs) so I thought at least if I do the year then I'll get a certificate but they hooked me Uh, so yeah and I just I love the I think they're embodying and I'm not being paid for this. So, but you know, Brad, although St. Stephen's, you know, throw you some free tuition that wouldn't be um, for all the influence that we have with St. Stephen's. Oh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't complain about it, but I just think that their posture, I guess, in mm. terms of like what they, how they see their faith identity is like really intriguing to me. I've, I've just found it interesting. They talk about like, anchored with wings someone made this comment a few years ago and they've really held on to that and so it's kind of like they are grounded very much so in christianity absolutely but they kind of aspire to have this open tent rather than denominational category or like a specific doctrinal conformity they just say hey we're a christian we're gonna be here in the bounds of christianity kind of thing but this is an open table where everyone is welcome and so they pull from like Eastern Orthodox and just, I don't know, just the Anabaptist and just very beautiful. Like in my courses, I have people from Ireland and South Africa and United States and Canada and 
she's a really interesting group of people who are trying to navigate culture, mm-hmm. peace, justice. They have a new reconciliation program that's being headed up in terms like um, in terms of um, different faith and um, spiritual identities, like with indigenous community and how do we as Christians work? So it's just, I kind of like their, um, what they're throwing out into the world. So, yeah. And how are you finding that, that this program that you started after you already had a job with New Leaf, how do you find what you are learning and encountering there informing what you do at New Leaf? Oh yeah. It's like, definitely it's done its work on me. (laughs) Um, I think the thing that I've appreciated the most is the insistence on the transformation of a leader through these conversations so the inner transformational the inner transformation of a peacemaker the inner transformation of someone who is wanting to do justice work this important concept of like compassion and beauty and justice but partnered with the in the internal state of who you are as a leader who you are as a Jesus follower who you are as someone that's wanting to do this kind of work and so a lot of it is met with like prayer and contemplative practice. And so, and, and what all of those things are kind of built into a lot of the programs. And I think that's been really, um, important for me because, um, I do come from a bit of a charismatic background. Mm -hmm. It's a long time ago, but it's still there. And so I'm still intrigued by like what happens when you pray and what happens when you slow down and just the way that I have found, the spirit to speak and to heal and to still do these incredible things that I can't always explain. And so I think that taking the concept of pursuing theological education, but also pursuing it in a way that's like relevant Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we are talking about relevant, how do we navigate this post Christendom world? I think taking that and also pairing it with conversations around your spiritual formation and the practices that go with that, I think are really important. So I've found that really compelling. So kudos to St. Stephen's. (laughs) They're not just great for the brain, but it's good for the body and soul too. No, I mean, that's, that sounds great. I mean, I found that in my own, in my own education. Uh, I'm, getting so close to finishing my degree. So close. Incredible. Incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. I've got, I've got some stuff that needs to happen still this semester, but then this time next year I should be done. But it has been very interesting to me to see my own kind of how my own perspective has shifted Mm -hmm. and how I see things with that. Um, I'm interested as, as you're talking about this, it, to me, it sounds like so much of the work that you do is so pastoral and like how you talk about the people that you work with, how you talk about what informs your work. Like it is so like so clear to me that like how much both your faith informs the work that you do, but how much like your, your hope and your love of people also informs the work that you do. And I, I think that is beautiful and it is aspirational and I'm sure it is exhausting. <laughs> I would imagine from anyone who does kind of pastoral care, you, you can see the toll that that, that that can take, the energy that that requires. Um, and I can see just the passion that you have for the work that you do and the ways that you translate your, your faith and your hope and your optimism into hoping to pass that on to other people. Um, and I'm really very, very grateful. Like, as somebody who who possibly can too easily criticize the institutional church, <laughs> I am very personally grateful that there are people like you doing the work that you do within institutional churches, as well as other kinds of faith communities. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity. We've got two more questions here. Um, the first is like, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about that you're finding really either fulfilling or like what is kind of enlivening your work at the moment? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's not so much project specific per se, but I think it's the very much, and thank you for those kind words, by the way. I appreciate that. I don't see myself as a pastor, but, you know, I guess there is a 
pastoral flavor to what's going on. I think so. And I think what is giving me hope, because I'm with you, like I'm, girl, we could talk for a long time about the problems of the institution. Like we could, <laughs> we could pull up a coffee. Like I, yeah, I just think there's like, I see it as like a family conversation though, right? Like I see hmm. it as like a, like I, I, I critique this thing cause it, it could, it, it's my, it's my family. It's like, God, we got to do better. Like, doesn't Jesus deserve better yeah. than this? Yeah. You know, like, so it's coming from like, I, you critique. I think that's the difference between a critique with love, right? Mm. Like, and I know love can mean lots of weird things because <laughs> people use the truth, speaking the truth and love, and that can go off the rails real quick. But it's like from a deep, like, no, no, like I'm still in this. Yeah. I'm still in this. And so I'm not, yeah, we've got to do better. And I think that to me is what the project, I guess, that's bringing me hope are people who are still, who are still involved in church, maybe in institutional forms or maybe less institutional yeah. forms, but who are still jazzed about Jesus, who are still, you know, I have some people I know in Hamilton, they, they're this church called Eucharist kudos to Kevin Makins and crew, but like they're doing like, they're, they're not an Anglican mainline church. They're doing compline prayers and mm. having like youth and young adults come to compline prayer and chant like in an old church building in downtown Hamilton. Like <laughs> I'm seeing like people come together to do like work around, you know, organically putting together youth outreach stuff and, helping with youth organizations and how do we that are outside of these doctrinal, you know, what's your statement before? No, these are kids. We're going to bring them together. We're going to, we're going to love on them. We're going to support them. We're going to teach them, help form them. Like, I think there's all these beautiful pockets of things that are happening that mm. just don't often make the, the news that don't often make the news. And they're small, little, beautiful, faithful, that look and smell and taste like good news to me. And I think that's what really kind of make, it's like, it may never make the news. It'll may, it, maybe it'll never make a uh, Christianity today or, you yeah. know, like uh, they don't even have Instagram accounts, but like, there's just these people that are doing this beautiful work. And I think that gives, and I'm, I feel hopeful hmm. for that. I feel hope when I see that. And yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the project that I'm about is that, you know, I'm, I'm an elder millennial. I still count as millennial. <laughs> I hold on to that title. And like, as a lot of people I went to school with in Bible college days and in early ministry days, and they're not doing that anymore, hmm. you know, and for very many good reasons. Um, and I, I feel like as a group of people in our age bracket, it's kind of like, it's time we have to like, encourage one another and if you got to get out of the institution or the denomination it's okay you can still do this work if you have to ask some tough questions like it's okay to shake the dust off your feet like we still need we need we need the good and the hopeful and the beautiful to still exist out there and a lot of good people are getting burnt out um, mm. and having to step out and I understand I've been there. Yeah. Um, so I understand it, but I just kind of want to lift up weary folk and then have them lift me up when I'm weary um, to keep going. Cause yeah, I look to the left and look to the right. I'm like, Oh man, there's a lot of people that I used to do this with that had to move on. And I want a, a more humane faith hmm. for people in Canada. I, I want it to be, it's always going to be hard, but I, we serve a God that like lives in that with us we don't suffer on our own like he's with us you know and so I, w I want to build places and spaces and connections that will that that's what brings me hope and that's the what keeps me going is I run into people like you and I run <laughs> into people that are they're still trying they're still giving it their best shot and that's encourage that's encouraging to me maybe when I was younger the big lights and the mm. smoke show in my immaturity and in, you know, that's what excited me. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. It's people that are just humbly, faithfully still trying to do this, this work. Um, and a church that really is trying to look 
like Jesus, not just say they are, yeah. not just say they're following the Jesus way, but to actually do that and to surrender power and to be about love and justice and inclusion. Like that stuff's just compelling to me, gets me up in the morning. Oh, well, thank you so much, Elle. I feel like I, like I said before, I am grateful for people like you who are willing to do the work that you do, who are willing to try to hold those tensions. I think that that what New Leaf does, the the events that it plans, the the conversations that it has, I think a, like will appeal to a lot of people, particularly in the evangelical world in Canada, who who are asking a lot of questions and kind of don't know where to go. Um, and I feel like what what you are doing is is so beautiful and so necessary. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for you and for New Leaf and for the work that you guys do. Um, I mean, I'd ask you where you're finding hope right now, which is our typical last question, but you've already answered that so beautifully, so beautifully. Um, I wish you blessing in the work that you do with you and your colleagues uh, for events that are coming up, podcast interviews that you're doing, books that you guys are publishing, all the things this striving that you guys are doing to try to create, like you said, a more humane faith. Um, I, I wish you guys every blessing in that and am so grateful that you've come to talk with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And kudos to everything you're doing <laughs> with Reflector and Rector's Cupboard. Grateful to be in connection with you. And thanks for putting your hand to the plow here in Canada and keep, keep on, keep on doing the work. So yeah, thank you for, for having me here. It was a real honor. Thanks, Al. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our Cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.